Welcome to Urban Hope Community Church's podcast. Today's sermon is from February 4th, 2024. Today's sermon is titled, Speaking the Truth in Love, from Acts 18, verses 18 through 28, and Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, from Senior Pastor Alton Hardy. stand. It's chapter 18 of Acts Pew Bible, page 1102, and we're also going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. And it says, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila. And at Centria he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reason with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. 
He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross into Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Page 1161, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the body and whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers and the flowers fade, You may be seated. Last week, I spoke very passionately about knowing one's purpose and calling before the Lord. And I reminded us all that it is very difficult to maintain a spiritual fervency in this Christian life without knowing our reason of existence, our true north, our promised land. It is also very crucial as believers 
that we all grow to discern our spiritual gifts as believers. Two weeks ago, Pastor Chad and Dion, many of us were able to take a spiritual gift assessment and start the discerning process of knowing our gifts distributed to us by the Holy Spirit. If you haven't taken that gift assessment, I would encourage you to reach out to Pastor Chad so he can send it to you so you can take it, so you can have some idea what it may be that God has deposited within you. I know that every time that I have taken some spiritual gift assessment over these last 25 years, my top five spiritual gifts have always been prophecy, faith, leadership, knowledge, pastor shepherding, discernment, and wisdom. Prophecy is defined by this particular assessment as verbally proclaiming biblical truth by the Spirit of God that aligns with the Word of God, which brings encouragement or conviction in such a way that hearers must do something about it. If you listen to me, you, you sense that all the time. Are demanding that you do something. It just comes out of me. My natural bent is to be a jovial, funny guy. But under the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there's this strong, Hard-hitting. God is God. He's demands of his people. He's not to be played with, joked with. Then faith. Faith is defined as a complete confidence and assurance that God accomplishes the best outcomes with the best methods in spite of circumstances. And then there's leadership. The ability to cast vision effectively, to communicate it, and unify diverse gifts of others in order to accomplish a common purpose for the glory of God. And I put here, i.e., for me, church planting. Just, it's just in me. So how do you get it, PA? I don't know. The Holy Spirit. But as we walk through the book of Acts here this morning, man, just in preparing for these sermons, I'm, I'm just sometimes, I am, as much as I've done it, I am just amazed how the Spirit of God is, is just speaking to us through the Word of God. These stories just may be stories to some, but Dr. Luke, that he has written these words that are on the pages here in the book of Acts, and they are guided 
not by accident, not by osmosis, but they are guided by the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, who's guiding these words. And we know from last week that Paul, we can see that he was mightily encouraged by Jesus. Sometimes Jesus just has to come along this journey of life and he just has to speak to us. Jesus gave Paul a vision as he battled fear and discouragement in Corinth. And from this encouragement from Jesus to Paul, this enabled Paul to stay a year and six months, the word of God says, ministering in Corinth by making many disciples and speaking the truth in love to them so that they would grow into the knowledge of Jesus and discerning their spiritual gifts granted to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that Paul knows his calling. He knows his gifts that God has given to him that are before the Lord. And we see today that Paul is, is once again, that he's busy at work, not wasting any time in fulfilling his mission, his calling, for what it is that God has called him to. And here in verse 18 of chapter 18 of the book of Acts, and it says that after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then he took leave of the brothers and he set sail for Syria. And with him is Priscilla and Aquila. And at Centria, he cut his hair for he was under a vow. Here's I was, okay, Holy Spirit, what is the text that I need to see so that I can bring it to the people of God here at Urban Hope Community Church? We know that Priscilla and Aquila, that's husband and wife, and it seems that the wife is mentioned first, which means that according to theologians, she's more stronger, biblically sound than the husband. And we often see this a lot throughout scriptures, mostly man first, but here we see this throughout, except for one time, Priscilla, the wife, is always mentioned first. So I want to give a shout out to the strong women of God in the building. They're a married couple. And we see in 18.1, chapter, verse 1, where Paul first met them after arriving in Corinth. And he started working with them in the tent-making business. We talked about that on last week. This is the first time we see Paul actually do this tent-making business in order to support himself. Now, this mention of Priscilla and Aquila, this is not a small thing. You can just easily read over this. This is very significant that Luke puts this story here in our text 
He wants us to understand something here this morning, that, that God uses ordinary people. Paul met them in the tent-making business, but here we see that God is using these people. They're just ordinary people in accomplishing the work of ministry, making disciples of all the nations. And verse 19 says, and they came to Ephesus and he left them there. Cordell, I put my only slide up. I want you to see this. I'm going to come back to this, the, the, the map. Hopefully you can see this. And so you can just read over this. And this is why I keep putting up these maps because I want you to see. This is Paul's second missionary journey. I want you to see this. And he said, and he left and they came to Ephesus. I want you to see they're here. It's all the way over here. So this, this married couple that Paul meets in this tent-making business, just ordinary people with an ordinary business. But Luke tells us they came to Ephesus. And Paul left them there. Meaning he meets them, he disciples them, and they're following him, they're obeying God, and they're calling on their lives. How is this happening? They came to Ephesus. This is like an eight-day journey. It's not around the corner, just go to Lipson, let's go to Bessemer. This is like you get on a boat, you spend money. I don't know what they did with their business. Luke doesn't tell us. <laughs> Maybe they just said, we know God will take care of that. But here's what I do know. Paul meets them in Corinth. They're tent makers. And here, ordinary people are now walking, following God. When Luke says they come to Ephesus, Paul leaves them there. He goes into the synagogue. He reasons with the Jews. They ask him to stay for a longer period. He declines. But on taking leave, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And the word of God says he set sail from Ephesus. But he left Priscilla and Aquila. There in, in um, Ephesus to continue the work of making disciples. And then it says in verse 23 to 23, which I will come back next year, well, next week, where it says Paul traveled to Caesarea, which is not too far from Jerusalem. He goes back up to the greeted the church. He went to Antioch which is where he all started from. After spending some time there, Paul starts his, what we call, which we'll start next week, his third missionary journey. So, come back to that next week. It's not my thought, main thought here today. But you see Priscilla and Aquila. He meets them, and here they are all the way in Ephesus. Stay with me. 
You know, there's a scripture in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35 to 38, Jesus' own words. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And the Bible says, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37. And then Jesus said to his disciples, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I just, I puzzle sometimes. I'm like, what do you mean they're few? And, and now that I've been in ministry for a while, I mean, you know, I, I, I do my research and I just watch and observe church world for a long period of time. Because when you really pull it back, it's only really a few people in every church and across the world who does all the work. I got a call from the school and I let Sandra hear it from the principal. And, you know, I said, Lord, I'm just tired. I just can't. I mean, when I got here, I used to go up to the school all the time and spend time up there. And, and they called me and they want me to come do Bible studies in the morning with the middle school. And I said, Lord, I just, I don't have the time I used to have to do that anymore. But I'm saying, where are the laborers? The harvest, Jesus said, is plentiful. But Jesus has prayed to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more laborers into the harvest. And so I want to ask a question of us this morning. Why are there not more Christian laborers? Why are there so few? Try to explain to yourself the reason that we don't see more Priscilla's and Aquila's, more Timothy's, more Silas and Apollos. Instead of answering the question from that perspective, which is going to lead into the title of my sermon here today, I want to propose the question this way. How do we produce more Aquilas, more Priscilla's, more Apollos, more Christian laborers committed to the work of ministry. Just ordinary people committed to the mission that Jesus starts out this whole book with of making disciples. Now back to Ephesians chapter 4. How do we get people there? Paul gives this high view of all the gifts in the church. Verse 11 starts out by saying, God has given to the church the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, pastors, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, to equip the saints, to equip the saints, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
Paul says he's given me, pastors and teachers, those that mount the pulpits to equip the saints. Um, not 10 years later for Pastor Hardy to continue to go up to the school, but to equip the saints who are filled with gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit and to, to live on mission for the work of ministry in a world that is passing away. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, children tossed to and fro by the waves and, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Paul says this wants us to be mature, to grow up. But how? Keep reading. How will people grow up? How will people begin to discern and know their gifts? Paul's going to lead to something. By human, he says, by human cunning, by the craftiness, of the deceitful schemes, meaning, you no, know, Satan is always lurking. He's always trying to deceive the Christians into false dreams, false visions, false worldly ambitions, a chasing after the money, a chasing after the wind, doing the same thing over but expecting a different result. I see so many Christians who fall into that trap. Falling for Satan's cunningness and his craftiness, trying to build bigger burns. Jesus has warned us over and over again. Please, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And he will add all these things that we are up all night worrying about. How will God take care of your kids like he's done for all the Christians down through the ages? That's how he's going to take care of your children. <laughs> Paul says, human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Verse 15 we are called to do something. Rather speaking the truth in love. I believe with all of my heart, this is what Paul, being who he was as an apostle, he was speaking truth in love to Priscilla and Aquila. This couple who just, now we see them going all the way from Corinth. The Bible says they're already from Rome. But they had to come to a place when, when um, um, the, um, Claudius gave the edict to leave Rome, all the Jews. And now we see them in Ephesus, discipling people. In Ephesus, Paul tells us here, speaking the truth in love, we are to do what? Grow up in every way, into him who is the head. This term, speaking truth in love, it carries the ideal of not only speaking truth in love, but doing it. Not just hearers only, but, but doers of the word. Not just speaking it, but the one who is speaking it, he's also living it. 
This truth is to be verbalized. Christians are to speak the simple truth and nothing but the truth. Every statement which they make should be unvarnished truth. Every promise which they make should be true. Every representation which they make of the sentiments of others should be simple truth. We got to speak truth to one another. Say, brother, I see this gift. You should be using it. I see this hospitality within you. This is how Chad made the statement about how do we really become to grow and to understand our gifts by the Holy Spirit. We actually observe that by watching each other. You can almost see it. If you've been around here a long time, you can just see Sister Bridget. She's just been endowed with the gift of hospitality and love. If you Satan and you come to the door, Sister Bridget going to hug you. Now she said, now get on out of here. You got your hug for today. <laughs> that gift. We speak the truth in love to each other. Our small talk should be unburnished truth, simple truth. Paul says we do this truth, we speak it to each other. And then we grow up into the head, into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, when each person is performing in their gifts in a local church, it makes the body grow. And it builds itself up in love. This is why it's important to know your gifts. This is not by accident that we're honing down and we're praying in this year in 2024 we want God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to reveal to you the gifts that are in you. We don't want you to die and take the gifts with you. We want you to live them out. This is why being in local church setting is so important. How can you live out and we discern your gift if, we, if people are not around? They're not in bodily function. It's hard to discern. This year, 2024, Urban Hope is hitting the prize. I told Dion, as I'm making my way, it's going to grow. I believe by next year, we'll be at two services. And this is important for all of us in the room, that we know who we are. We have a prayer life, a Bible study time. For those of you who have met with Chad about hope groups, that you grow as a leader and lead in small groups. You invite people into your home. You open up the word of God and let your conversation be about Jesus. Invite young people. There are many around Fairfield and all over Birmingham that are, that are dying. They're looking for a real community, real church. They're looking to see if this thing is really real. The school is begging. Young people are hurting in Birmingham, Fairfield. They're hurting all over our city. They want to know if this thing called marriage is really real. 
They need to see it with some of you young couples to observe that it's possible to be married at 24 and not cheat. To be a father and a husband. To be a good man, to be a good woman. And we do that and we come to know that by speaking the truth in love. It says in love, not mean-spirited. <laughs> love. Some of us say, I have to give a speaking truth, Pastor, but I don't have the love part. No, it says in love. <laughs> do it with love. Encourage one another. Spur each other on into good works and good deeds. As Hebrews says, as we see the evil day, the day of the Lord approaching. But I want to make a transition here, and I got to hurry up because we got to do communion. It says, I want to give an example that's right here in the text of speaking the gospel truth in love. Back to Acts chapter 18. Look at verse 24. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, he came to Ephesus. And he was an eloquent man. I mean, this guy had Barack Obama type of speech. He was, his words were clear. He was not from Sardis. Alexander was the top of the apex of education in that time. So he was an eloquent man. The word of God says he was competent in the scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he was fervent in spirit. Meaning he was, he had passion. He was not um, humdrum. He was like, he was passionate. His hands were moving. He was moving around. And like, he, he was speaking. He was fervent in spirit. He spoke and talked accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He spoke of Jesus, meaning he knew the Old Testament really well. But he was somewhat deficient. Some don't know whether he was a Christian at this time. R.C. Sproul and theologians debate. I'm not hitting on that. I don't know. Luke really doesn't tell us, but here's what he does tell us. And here's what you want to see what it means to speak truth in love. And it says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, so they're hearing him, he's eloquent, he's fervent in spirit, he's passionate, he's speaking about Jesus, but when they heard him, the word of God says, they took him aside. And they explained to him the way of God more accurately. He says, come here, Apollos. You see the, the potential? And they pulled him aside. And they explained to him. Apollos didn't know about the cross or the meaning of the cross. He hadn't heard that. Remember, he didn't have internet. <laughs> so he, didn't, he hadn't heard that. He didn't know about the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and how Jesus had fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies that he was in there speaking about. 
he was still speaking as though Jesus was going to come. He didn't know that he had already come. He had already came and he had died on the cross. He didn't know that. And that Jesus had fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies. And now there was repentance for the forgiveness of sins to those who would put their faith in him. He didn't know that. He was talking about Jesus as though he was still going to come. And Priscilla, speaking truth and love, hey, come here, man. Come and hang out. They didn't, do it, they didn't do it publicly. They didn't shame him. They invited him into the hall. They opened up the word of God. They told him what had been happening. And the Bible says they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Verse 27 said, it was he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Said, hey, welcome this guy. This guy's good. And look what happens. He says that when he arrived, now he's got what he needs. He can now connect the dots. His, his, his knowledge about the scriptures are now are much more clear. And now he can connect the dots. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Priscilla and Aquila had spoken to him truth and love. And now look at verse 28. Now he powerfully refuted, debated, standing flat-footed. The Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. We've connected the dots now. And now I'm just going to do my black man Baptist preaching here a little bit. So you're going to have to bear with me. And then we're going to go into the communion time. Let me get my water. Because I was shouting downstairs, because, man, Lord, this is just too good. So he got the information now. He was already an eloquent speaker. So he already had the Barack, Barack Obama gift. He can speak and communicate. And now, now that the blanks have been filled in, the Bible says he's now, he's debating the Jews publicly, flat-footed, that Jesus is the Christ. And I believe Apollos started with the book of Genesis. He said, now I can connect the dots. He says, listen to me, Jews. He says, um, Genesis, he says, Jesus is the word of God. That he is the promised seed of the woman. And then he said, let me move on to the book of Exodus. I've been reading this book my whole life, and I understand that Jesus is the Passover lamb. And then he went on to Leviticus, and then he says, and Jesus is the high priest and the representative of the tabernacle. He is the lampstand. He is the showbread. He is the sacrifice on the altar. And then he got to numbers. He says, and Jesus is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He is the smitting rock that gives living water to everyone who believes. And then in Deuteronomy, he says, and Jesus, my brothers, he is the prophet that is greater than Moses. And then he went on to Joshua and he says, and Jesus is the commander of the army of the Lord leading his people to the promised land of true freedom. And in Judges, he says, and Jesus is the true and final judge. And Ruth, Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. And first and second Samuel, 
I can see Apollos standing out there in Ephesus. He says, and Jesus is the anointed shepherd king. In First and Second Kings, he says, and Jesus is the righteous king of kings. In First and Second Chronicles, Jesus is the faithful restorer of the kingdom. And in Ezra, Jesus is the faithful restorer of the temple. In Nehemiah, Jesus is the redeeming rebuilder of the walls. And in Esther, Jesus is the sovereign protector of his people. In Job, Jesus is the living redeemer and our true comforter. In the Psalms, Jesus is the good shepherd who hears all of our cries. In Proverbs, Jesus is the wisdom of God. In Ecclesiastes, Jesus is the meaning of life. In Isaiah, Jesus is the promised Messiah, the wonderful counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. He's a suffering servant. He's wounded for our transgression, and he was bruised for our iniquities. Apollo was in, he's not done. He's just walking through the Old Testament. And Jesus in Jeremiah, he's the potter and the righteous branch. In Lamentations, Jesus is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, Jesus is the river of life, bringing healing to the nations. In the book of Daniel, Jesus is the fourth man in the fiery furnace. Every time you go through a fire, every time you go through a trial, every time you go through affliction, guess who's in there with you? Jesus. You're not in there by yourself. Every suffering, every time someone dies in your family, Jesus is there weeping with you. In Hosea, Jesus is the ever-faithful husband pursuing his unfaithful bride. In Joel, Jesus is the restorer of what the locusts have eaten and the one who will pour out his spirit on all his people. In the book of Amos, Jesus is the burden bearer in the true restoration. In Obadiah, Jesus is the judge of all the earth and the mighty one to save. In Jonah, Jesus is the salvation of all the lands. And he's the prophet cast out into the heart of the earth, into the graves of storm, which is death, who spent three days in the depths. In the book of Micah, Jesus is the promised Messiah born in Bethlehem. In Nahum, Jesus is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, Jesus is the reason for rejoicing. He's our strength even when the fields are empty. In Zephaniah, Jesus is the preserver and the restorer of his remnant and his kingdom. In Haggai, Jesus is the desire of all the nations. In Zechariah, Jesus is the cleansing fountain, the pure sun, who in every eye on earth will one day behold. And in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, Jesus, Apollos probably was saying that day, he's a son of righteousness. Rising with healing in his wings. And he's the refiner's fire. He's going to burn all our sins away. And now I come to the part with the community, but this is where I want to slow it down. I call this sermon Speaking Truth in Love. We're in a community where the table is really just, people really don't understand it. 
So I want to slow this down as the elders get ready to come. Not yet, but get ready. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus is the Son of God, the Word tells us. He was the Word made flesh. And he dwelt among us. John says he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In John chapter 6, verse 53 to 58, Jesus gets into a story where he tells those that on that day, he says, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, Jesus says, you have no life in you. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. He says, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. And I in them. And just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. Talking about the people that were with Moses. But Jesus says, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. What we see Jesus doing as he's talking, the Bible said many walked away from Jesus that day. They didn't understand the spiritual analogy that he was making. As he was identifying himself as the true bread from heaven. That everyone needs and that he's the that his blood is the true spiritual drink that we all need. He's the only one. He's the author of life. He's the only thing in this room that can quench your thirst. Your deepest longing, your spiritual thirst, that can only be met by Jesus and Jesus alone. And then Jesus gives us this command that we should do. For those of us who come to believe that Jesus is the true spiritual drink. We desire to eat his flesh, which is his bread, drink his blood, which is his new covenant. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 32, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. He's talking to Christians, those who have come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He said, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. My body was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Always remember this, saints. Always remember this, children, that my body was broken for you. He says, in the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. See, on that day, many of them didn't understand what Jesus was referring to, but Jesus was talking about his death, his impending death that was going to take place, which it did. He says, I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to make covenant with my people. It doesn't matter whether you have good days or bad days. I'll never break my covenant. I'm not going to leave you or abandon you because you mess up one day or you tell a few lies or one day you just, you just leave church for a while. But Jesus is a faithful bride. He will always pursue. He is a faithful groomsman. He always comes to his bride, always pursuing her. And Jesus says, do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me, understand my covenant with you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now here's the warning. Please hear me. Here's the warning. Here's the warning. Lord places them strong. 
Speak truth in love. So there are, put here my note. Speak truth in love, Pastor Harvey. Here it is. Speak truth in love. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the Lord's concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Jesus says, Paul says, he's a letter person. This is why we, we, we the elders met as a session. We, we decided if you wasn't a member of Urban Hope, we wasn't going to bar you from the table altogether. And well, we say, well, we don't really want to do that in this community. So, so we, we, we thought about it, how we could do it. So we said, well, we don't want to do that. So we debated, me, Patrick, Kind Michael, Dion, and EJ. How should we go about doing this? Because when we saw the, the table, it's, it's, it, you know, we're seeing people come up, living with their girlfriend, and no attempt to confess and repent of the sin, and they come and take this, and we're watching, and we're, we're knowing what Jesus says here in the scriptures. Lord, we don't want this on our heads. What do we do? Because it says here, if a person comes and eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, he said, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who drink, eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks what? Judgment. In other words, Jesus says, my children who have come to put faith in this, yes, keep coming, keep eating. But if you're not sure, you have no intention, you're not connected to your local church, if you die today, you don't have a pastor to even bury you. He says, you should not come and play around with this. Because what happens is, when you do that, he says, you bring judgment on yourself. And look what he says. Verse 30. And this is why Paul talking to the Corinthians, and many of you are weak and ill. And some Christians don't even teach this. And some have what? Tied. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And what Jesus is saying, I died, I made covenant with you, and he says, I am not to be played with. I I, this is where the prophetic preaching, I see this in Birmingham, everyone claiming Christianity, and there is no fear of God. And the sins they're living, if people understood what awaits them, I'm telling you, churches will jam-pack the inside. And so here, my brothers, before you come, receive the communion, Elders, you can come forward. We're going to give you about a minute to reflect and to examine. When you say the word examine, just say, God, you know, check me. Is there anything that I'm doing right now today? I'm doing and I'm sinning against, and I'm just not living right. I just know I want to repent. Don't just come haphazardly. If you really have a repentant heart, the Lord search me, seek me, search me, see if there be any evil thing in me. And then if you get the elements, we'll sing a song for about a minute.
And then we'll take the elements together. Let me pray for the elements. Father, we ask that you bless these elements. Use them to strengthen us and to nourish us, those that are looking to you before your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining Urban Hope Community Church's podcast. Today's sermon from Senior Pastor Alton Hardy was titled Speaking the Truth in Love from Acts 18, verses 18 through 28 and Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. For additional sermons or more information, you can visit our website at urbanhopecc.com.